You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 334, How Do I Build a Great Team, Part 2. So last week we looked at um, some of the things that go into building a great team. This is a formula that I've, that I've used for years. Um, it'll work for you, but feel free to take it and adapt it however you want. But these principles will help you to build a great team, whether it's a nonprofit whether it's at your business, um, whatever it is that you're building, I just encourage you to take a look at this formula and, and just see if this could help you. We Just a quick recap, um, we talked about why teams are so important, the fact that they help us carry the weight of what God has called us to do, or in a business sense, we'd say they, they, they really help you to accomplish the, the vision that you've got in your head if you're the boss. Um, they multiply your efforts, and then they also set you up for future growth. They're the foundation. A good team is the foundation for future growth. And I would say that most problems that, that companies have, most comp- problems that um, different organizations, whether it's a church, other nonprofit, etc., have, have to do with a team. Because either the, the leader's trying to do everything himself, or he's got the wrong people trying to help him. And yes, there are times when it's just on the leader to not share the vision clearly enough or, um, you know, there's there's any number of other reasons. But many, many cases, the team, um, having the right team is going to help you be successful. And then we, we, we kind of went into the, the formula itself. The first thing that I look for is character. The first thing that I always look for um, in a new team member is character. And, you know, this is this has to do with integrity. This has to do with doing uh, the right thing as opposed to just doing things right. So I want people with good character. I want people who are consistent. Um, and that's part of character. But then we also look for a certain chemistry. When I'm putting a team together, um, I want to put a team together of people that I actually want to be around. Um, you've seen it, I've seen it, teams where there's just bad chemistry. The people don't get along, there's there's uh, backbiting, there's gossip, there's arguing, there's, um, you know, overly being competitive. And look, it's, it's good to be competitive on a team. Um, many of the teams that, that I built were competitive in a good way, trying to outdo each other for bragging rights. But, but it was never at the expense of putting each other down or, um, you know, being vicious or mean. So um, really the chemistry is a, such an important part of what's, what go, goes into making a great team. And, you know, this is something that you've got to weed out during the hiring process, um, during the interview process, and even um, when you're checking their sources, when you're going back and interviewing former employers, 
um, and asking, you know, how, how was their chemistry? And listen to what they say and what they don't say. Because if, if this problem, they might be a high producer, they might be the kind of person who got so much done and got all those sales or, or always met their goals and deadlines, but did they get along with everybody else? I'll take somebody maybe who's a little less of a producer, but they've got the right chemistry. They've got the right personality. So always look for that good chemistry to start with. I promise you, it'll save you so much heartache down the road. All right, well, don't go away. We're going to jump right back in in just a second with uh, part two with today's content. Got a couple of great points to share with you on building a great team. But I wanted to let you know that this book, this this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my newest book, Between Destiny and Duty, a Chuck McCain novel, part two or book two. And uh, if you've if you've read any of my novels, um, you know that one of my main characters is Chuck McCain. And he is um, really who this new series is kind of built around. Some of the former characters from the first series are there. And I just had somebody last week said, man, I just read the first book in this series, which was Storm Clouds Rising. And and they said, you know, it reads like something out of the news. I mean, I couldn't hardly put it down. They said the action was great, the suspense, the thrills, the, the, the action scenes were amazing. They said, I love the characters, but... They said it just seemed so relevant to where we're at in the world. Well, between destiny and duty is is picks right up where the first one left off. So um, if you're looking for something to add to your read list, um, check it out. And, uh, you know, even if, if you're not so much a fiction writer or fiction reader, I'd encourage you at least go to Amazon and check out the first chapter or two and see if it might be something you'd be interested in. Um, you know, the, 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 the feedback I'm getting, the, the reviews I'm getting, people are just absolutely loving the stories. Loving the action, loving the characters, and uh, and I encourage you to check it out too. So click the link, go to Amazon. Um, you can read a little bit for free, and then of course I would love it if you would buy a copy for yourself. All right, well let's jump back in. So we talked about character and chemistry. Well, this week the first thing we're leading off with for uh, creating a great team is competence. Competence. You know, most folks would rank competence as number one. Can they do the job? How talented are they? How educated are they? Um, how, how, you know, what are their results? How, you know, how much do they produce? How successful have they been in the past? Um, competence is one of those things that most people put first, but I always put it at number three. Um, you know, there are certain skills that are required for some positions. I mean, look, I don't want a doctor coming in and, and working on me, um, you know, and, and, you know, they hired him just because of his great personality, his chemistry, and his character. I mean, those things are great, but, you know, when it comes to a doctor, I want somebody who's competent to do the job. Uh, most jobs aren't like that, though. Uh, most jobs don't require that level of expertise. And so it's something that we can teach them and train them as they go. Obviously, you know, in the IT field, there's certain skills required. Obviously, in the law field, there's certain skills required. Um, in the accounting world, etc. We go down the line, there's a number of fields um, where you've got to have a certain amount of expertise, probably a college degree or a significant amount of on-the-job um, experience. But... I'll take someone with good character and good chemistry 
who might not be as knowledgeable in most jobs. Let me give you an example. Um, when I was with the police department and I was staffing a couple of the units that I oversaw in special operations, I found that I got much more bang for my buck when I went after a young, motivated officer who might not have the experience or the skills yet, just yet to serve in that particular unit. But what I found was if they were willing to work hard and more importantly willing to learn, I could train them. And now I'm training them the way that I want them to be trained. And I found that over the years, I got much, much better results and much greater success by taking a younger, less experienced person and putting them into a position that they could grow into. Um, if they're willing to work hard and learn, we can work together. Now, I got raked over the coals by other supervisors who said I was crazy not to go after the people who had proven themselves. And time and time again, I proved them wrong by you know, pulling in the guys or the girls who were, again, less experienced, but were highly motivated. And that I would always ask their former supervisors, well, what's their work ethic? Oh, man, they'll work hard for you. Okay, that's what I want to hear. And if they're willing to work hard and willing to learn, we can get something done. And so training people the way you want them to be trained is excellent, too, because now there's much less that they have to uh, unlearn. They don't have as many bad habits. There's a whole lot less that they have to unlearn. And, you know, our success proved that this approach worked over and over again. Many of those team members ended up taking big career steps later because of how well they had performed for me and for in our units. And I was able to help them move on down the, the, the career path later on. But, you know, somebody's got to take a chance on them, and I was willing to do that. Now, obviously, again, there are certain jobs. I don't want an airline pilot who, um, you know, he's, he's learning on the job. Uh, I want somebody who knows how to take off and fly and then land the plane. But for, for, for many jobs, we can, um, you know, get these guys or girls who, uh, who are willing to learn, who are motivated, and have a basic competency, but we can help them take it to the next level. Um, somebody said that, uh, uh, and this is in the church realm, in the Christian realm, but uh, he said, we ask God for a worship leader or a pastor or a manager or whatever, whatever it is you're asking for for your organization. But he says, we ask God for a worship leader and he gives us a lump of clay. We have to create the people that we need. God doesn't give us a pot. He gives us clay. He doesn't give us a, a, a tree. He gives us seeds. And I thought this was so profound because it puts the responsibility back onto the leader to help create other people who are going to continue taking the organization down the road. Now, look, I get it. You need positions, you hire people, and you try and do the best that you can. But when it's possible, what would it look like if instead of hiring a manager from outside, you are able to develop and train someone from within. You know, one of the things about our church, it's been going now for 25 years. We're part of a larger movement of churches. There's about 600 of our um, C3 churches around, C3 global churches around the world. 
But in the 25 years or so that we've been going, I can't think of a single incident where we hired somebody from the outside. Whether senior pastor, worship leader, youth pastor, children's pastor, pick your position. In every single case, we raised up someone from within. It didn't happen overnight. It took some time. It took a lot of commitment. It took a lot of work. But in case after case, we've raised up and developed leaders from within. And, you know, we're not a mega church. You know, 1,000, 1,500 members. And obviously, in the early days, we weren't even that big. But if we found the person who was uh, willing to learn, who was highly motivated, who, who obviously had a, a, a dynamic and passionate relationship with God, we were able to take that lump of clay and create the person, create the position that we needed. And, and how much better does that pay off? You know, rather than going out and hiring a pastor, you know, after searching for six months and having a committee and, you know, they don't have your heart. They don't have you. I mean, it's not to say they can't get it, but to raise somebody up who's already got a heart for that particular house, they've got the vision. And this translates very well into the, the marketplace. I mean, again, sometimes you've got to hire somebody and you've got to have that position now. But when possible, what would it look like if you were able to... Um, Really get that that person from within. Um, don't be afraid to hire people who are more who are smarter and more talented than you are. Uh, you know, leading people who are more talented than you are. How secure are you as a leader? And look, I've seen it over and over again. You've got a leader who's not very secure in themselves. They tend to surround themselves with people who just say yes and go along with whatever they want. Um, now, look, I don't want somebody that's going to argue with me all the time, but I also want people around me who are going to challenge me, who are going to point out if I'm making a mistake, and who are going to ask the right questions. Uh, people who, you know, if there's a problem, they're not just going to point the problem out to me, but they're going to come and they're going to have a solution as well. Um, so, so don't be afraid to hire people who are smarter and more talented than you are. That's the true test of leadership. Anybody can lead followers, but can you lead other people? leaders. This is a big deal. Also, um, we're talking about competence. Um, that doesn't negate the fact that you need to provide the adequate amount of training. Uh, I'm a big fan of the initial type of training and then ongoing training. When people would come to our unit, we had a, a system. We had, we had a certain amount of training that they had to go through, and we typically did it on their own. Um, we had some videos for them to watch. We had some modules set up for them to go through. And, you know, we wanted them to, you know, get up to speed as fast as they could. And um, it was a lot of material. And we didn't expect them to get everything, but we at least wanted them to, when they joined the unit, to understand we weren't throwing them to the wolves. We were saying, okay, look, we've got some things we want you to learn. And here it is. And we give them some time to learn it. And at the same time, they're doing the job. So they're learning and they're doing, and we found that it came together very well. So provide that initial training, but also let's provide ongoing training. <coughs> Excuse me. The ongoing training is absolutely vital as well because things change. In the law enforcement realm, laws change, uh, procedures change, policies change. Um, even the political uh, climate changes, and that necessitates certain changes within how you do things. So um, 
Ongoing training is very, very important as well, and we constantly would try to do that. Um, you know, every every couple of months or so, we would just have some short sessions where we would just discuss the new things and talk about how to implement it. And this is a great opportunity to get your, your team involved in talking about how they're going to do that. So don't just say, okay, listen, I can train them, but you actually have to have something in place to do that. So what is your procedure? What is the system that you've got in place? And I encourage you to do that. So that's number three. That's competence. As we talk about building um, a great team, how do I build a great team? So we've talked about competence. And then the number four, the last one I want to talk about is communication. Communication is the lifeblood of any organization. How are the person's communication skills? Do they have good, good communication skills? Uh, communication is what keeps the team functioning at a high level. This doesn't mean a lot of horrible meetings, but it does mean that information is passed along from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top in a timely manner. Now, when I'm talking about good communication skills, first of all, can the person carry on a conversation? That's a big deal. Uh, can they write? Can they put together an email that's, that's professional? Do they respond in a timely manner? Um, you know, these are, these are important things. And when we're talking about communication skills, um, look, let's face it, everybody doesn't have them. There have been uh, positions that I've been trying to fill, and after examining someone's communication skills, whether it's putting them in a, um, a scenario where they have to talk to somebody, and, you know, how did they interact with that other person in maybe a crisis situation or a complaint on another employee, how did they handle that particular situation? Or looking at their written communications. There have been people that I've just had to turn down and say, you know, this just isn't going to cut it. Because if you can't communicate, you're not going to be able to function on my team. And so we've got to have these good communication skills. And we talked about passing information along from the top to the bottom from the bottom to the top. If I'm passing information from the bottom to the top, if this is one of the, the team members, um, then I expect to know of a potential crisis. If there's a problem, I want to know about it ahead of time. And some folks don't want to do that. Um, they just kind of, for whatever reason, just don't follow through on things they need to follow through with. And then the, the boss, the leadership, the management team is surprised or blindsided by this situation. That's never acceptable. Never acceptable. I'd much rather have a team member come and say, hey, listen, this is going to be a possible problem. Here it is. I just wanted to let you know to give you a heads up. And, you know, that goes a long way um, in the communication world to, you know, being able to resolve that problem later because I can get ahead of it. Um, communicating top down. Um, you know, look, I, I, I always believed in the no secrets rule. And what that meant was, as much as possible, every piece of information that pertained to my people, I tried to share it with them. Obviously, there were certain things that needed to be kept confidential, but so many things, um, you know, should be passed on that aren't. I mean, look, let's face it, there are leaders who enjoy holding on to information because it gives them, I guess, power. And, you know, they've got the information and you don't, so they know something you don't. I, I never subscribed to that theory. My thought process was, let me pass on everything that I can to the people 
so that they can know what's going on. It just gives them a little bit more security. It knows that I, they, they know that I'm looking out for them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a much better way to uh, run the business. Always over-communicate rather than under-communicating. Always over-communicate rather than under-communicating. Uh, you know, what I always appreciated is if there was a situation someone needed to tell me about, tell me vocally, but then send me an email. You know, I, I would much rather hear about it and then have you send me a short email reminding me of what you told me. Because everybody knows, you know, in leadership, there's a lot of things going. We're having a lot of conversations during the day, a lot of emails, a lot of meetings, and you know, it's easy to forget things. And so I always appreciated the over-communicating. Tell me about the issue, whatever we need to talk about, and then send me a short email reminding me. And, you know, that is such a great way to go. And it just makes things go so much smoother. Um, you know, building a great team really, I think, is, as a leader, is one of those things that, that defines great leadership. Um, it's easy to, you know, have a vision and start a business and just kind of get things going. But to put the right people in the right places, to put the right people in the right positions, um, you know, I think there's just nothing more important really than just building this great team around you because it's going to help you accomplish so much more. And obviously there's many uh, work situations in which you're given an existing team and you've got little or no input in what, who's on the team. I mean, if you're promoted to a leadership position and you you inherit a team or you you get moved to a team and there are already people there, look, you got to work with what you got. And I get it. Um, and that requires a whole different level of skills and molding them into an effective team of police officers, firefighters, salespeople, engineers, whatever it is. Sometimes you inherit the group, and you just have to do the best you can. But when possible, when you get that privilege of, of actually building a team, um, my goodness gracious, what a, what a powerful thing when you see these people accomplishing more than you could ever accomplish on your own. Well, I'm going to stop there. What are some other things that you look for in people when you are building a team? If you're picking people, to be a part of working with you, what do you look for? I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com, leave a question or a comment in the comment section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me, and I will see you next week on Leading and Learning. <music>